May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Last weekend, I was watching a football game, and right in the middle of the game, one of the sports announcers said, Be sure to tune in this network on Turkey Day. We have a great game for you. That same evening, I turned on the 10 o'clock news, and the weatherman on that particular channel said, I'm going to give you a forecast for Turkey Day. I was watching another program the next morning early, and they said, What a day of shopping. Not all are waiting for Friday. Some stores will open early on Turkey Day. We are here for far more important reasons than Turkey Day. This is Thanksgiving Sunday when our country asks all of us to pause. And remember the one who has given every good and perfect thing. Today is the day you and I come to the table instituted by our Lord Jesus on Thursday night before he was crucified. This bread, my body, this wine, my blood. Come, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me until I come again. This is also Christ the King Sunday, the 52nd Sunday in this liturgical year. This is the end of this liturgical year. We began in anticipation of the coming of our Lord with four significant Sundays. Then we celebrated his coming at Christmastide. We celebrated his being uh, revealed to Gentiles with Epiphany and the Sundays that followed. Then came Lent in those 40 days. Passion Week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. A whole seven weeks of Eastertide and then Pentecost, the fresh inblowing of the Holy Spirit of God. And after three months, Kingdom Tide. These last three months, if you do not know yourself to be a child of God, if you do not know yourself to be a willing subject of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, why not? This text today appropriate for this 52nd week in the liturgical year, talks not only about Christ the King, but also about the importance of thanksgiving in one wonderful text. Look at them with me, these four points. Number one, once you lived in darkness, you were hostile, your deeds evil. 
Dr. Beverly Gavinta, in her commentary on 2 Thessalonians, says that she worships in Protestant churches across the country. She holds a distinguished chair of New Testament studies at Princeton Theological Seminary. She was a classmate of Dr. Tankersley at Union Theological Seminary when they were both working on master's degrees. She's a very capable woman and said, I go into so many churches who no longer have a prayer of confession. Americans don't want to think about not being all right. They don't want to think about areas where they've fallen short. They don't want to admit there are times when they've not trusted God, when they've not been willing to put themselves out for the well-being of another. Next Sunday evening on the 29th of November, the Travel Channel is having a special program, two hours one night, two hours another night, a documentary of five men who were brought from the island of Tana to the United States. You've seen these men on National Geographic specials. They wear no clothes. Uh, they have a cone-shaped device to exaggerate the male sex organ. Uh, when they were asked by some, would you like to go to the United States and see what it looks like? The chief said yes. The medicine men said yes. Three other men said yes. They were told you'll have to wear clothes. You'll have to put on shoes for the first time in your life. If you're willing to do that, we will take you to America. And so these five, were properly dressed, had shoes for the first time in their lives, got on a plane, flew to the United States. This team from the Travel Channel were determined to show them what life is like in America, so they took them to a saloon in Montana. Let them see what it means to boot scoot and line dance. They took them to the Deep South. When they showed them a barber shop, they said they'd like to have a haircut, so they got one. They took them to another part of the shop and they saw people getting pedicures and they thought, wow, that'd be nice. These feet of theirs that had never been in shoes before were carefully scrubbed, sanded down, buffed on the bottom, toenails trimmed, polished. Finally, they got to Southern California. They were asked if they would like to see older people being made young again. On their trip around America, these five kept asking, where is Dan Navy? Where is Dan Navy? And they didn't know what that meant. Dan Navy, we don't know who Dan Navy is. Oh, they said he came to our island. They started adding up the years, 1942, 1942, Dan Navy. The more they talked about Dan Navy, the more those who were traveling with them discovered they were probably thinking about a Navy CB, one of the engineers who had come to the islands to help build landing strips for American planes, who had told them that Americans were coming to bring an end to war and peace for everyone. They wanted to meet Dan Navy again. See if he'd succeeded in bringing peace to the whole world. They watched a woman getting Botox injections into her face. They were told that this woman's face was being made new and wonderful. All the wrinkles were going away. And the medicine men asked, does it also make her new on the inside? Uh, today is about God's willingness to make people new on the inside, in the heart, in the mind, in the will.
Number two, this Jesus, beloved Son of God, was the image of the invisible. One of the scholars I read this week, Dr. James Dunn, said it this way, and I like it very much. Jesus was the projection of God on the canvas of humanity. Isn't that nice? Jesus was the projection of God on the canvas of humanity. Another scholar said, the author of this letter to Colossae is trying to remind us of the transcendence of God. Remember that comes from Latin, transcendere, the one who's big enough to climb across even the heavens that is the invisible one whom no one has ever seen, while also speaking of the one who showed us the heart and the mind of God, as we have in John's Gospel the statement, the one whom we've never seen has now been made visible in Christ Jesus our Lord. Leonard Breachy is a Mennonite, He's a high school teacher. Those who know him, know about his teaching in his own Mennonite church, said he teaches really well. Maybe he could write a devotional for the Mennonite uh, journal. He agreed to do that. It was really good. In fact, the Mennonites asked him to write again and again, and they liked everything he wrote. So finally, Christian Century heard about Leonard. He said, would you write a devotional for us in Christian Century? He said he would. And I read that devotional recently. He was writing about Christ the King Sunday. He said, you need to go back to the Gospels. In the Gospels, you have a story about a fateful week of Passover when Pontius Pilate and his magnificent Roman soldiers are coming from the West. Pilate lived on the beach, you know, at Caesarea, 50 miles west of the Jordan River lived at Caesarea. The weather was better there on the Mediterranean. Breezes blow in the hot summer time, and a wonderful Roman aqueduct had been built to bring fresh water from the hills. But this fateful week every year of Passover, when too many Jews got together in one place, he marched into Jerusalem in a show of force, riding the biggest, most powerful horse that he could find. And at that moment, from the east came Jesus, riding a burro, a little donkey so small Jesus' toes probably dragged the ground as he rode, a little band of people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The week moves on, and early Friday morning, Jesus is pushed into the presence of Pilate. And Pontius Pilate looks at him and asks, So, are you a king? This is the descendant of David, the Bible wants you to know. Does he look like King David? Does he look like King David's stories to you? David, who is a boy, said he could take on Goliath, the giant of the enemy, that without sword, without armor, he would take on this giant. 
that Israel's people, God's people Israel, could not be bluffed out by this giant. David went down into that valley to meet Goliath. He got down into the wadi, which is dry in the summertime, runs with water in the spring rains. Stones tumbled, tumbled till they were smooth. He picked up a little handful of those stones, put one in the slingshot, twirled it around, whap, and hit Goliath right between the eyes. The giant fell. David ran over and cut off his head. This Jesus didn't look like that. Hands tied without sleep for at least 36 hours. Questioned during the night, pushed in front of Pilate. So are you a king? The only answer that we have in the synoptic gospels, you say so. John adds a sentence. If my kingdom were of this world, then those who follow me would be fighting. That's all Pilate needed to hear. Take him, take him. They beat him and they crucified him. Earlier this summer when I was preaching from the book of Revelation, you remember John says he had a vision, a heavenly vision, a scroll sealed with seven seals. And a voice said, who is worthy to come and unleash? Who's worthy to come and read the scroll for us? There was no one. I started to cry, John said. There was no one worthy. And somebody, a loud voice said, the Lion of Judah, he is worthy. And I looked, and there was a lamb without blemish, without spot, still tinged with blood. Leonard Breachy, this high school teacher, says, So Sunday morning, saying, Crown him with many crowns, but no, the one you're crowning is the Passover Lamb of God. The one who was lifted up so that all might be drawn to him. But if you've been beaten and whipped and crucified, the drawing seems to take a long time. Number three, you have been transferred from this realm of darkness, the author says, into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Now this word transferred here is very special in Greek. It was used by Josephus, the Jewish historian of the first century. Josephus uses this word to describe the efforts of Tiglath-Pileser. Remember that name from Bible classes? Tiglath-Pileser, who wanted to move entire tribes from Transjordan, there's Latin again, across the Jordan, that is, people on the east of the river, over to the west side of the river. And it's just that dramatic to this author of the letter to Colossae. He has moved us across the river from darkness and sin to light, where we are willing subjects of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm still learning about opera. In my liberal arts education at one of our Methodist colleges, Centenary, I had music appreciation, still learning about opera, Many of them are very old. One 
now composed uh, almost 80 years ago by Janacek, is being performed again in New York. It's not one of the best known ones, but the Metropolitan Opera decided to add it to its program this year. Janacek's opera is called From the House of the Dead. It is taken from one of Dostoevsky's stories about men who've been thrown into prison in Siberia. I think 1930, 1930, after the communists had come to power, all you had to do was look cross-eyed at one of the guards and be thrown into prison for life. They just forgot about you. And all these men in this Siberian prison have been sentenced to be in that prison freezing cold until they die. And the opera is about one man after another sort of stepping to the front of the stage and singing for you the reasons he's in prison. One of them saw the abuses of a communist soldier and killed him. He was thrown into prison for life. Another one of them loved a young woman with all of his heart, and the communist took her and gave him to another man. So one night he went and killed that man. Life prison for you. One had a woman that he loved so very much, but in a drunken rage of jealousy one night, he killed her. Lifetime prison for you. And so the stories unfold as the opera is sung. But the reviewer in the Wall Street Journal, writing of this production at the Met, said, But what you hear in one plaintive aria after another is, Is there not another chance? Is there not another chance? If only, if only, I had one more chance. Christ the King is about new chances, new beginnings, new opportunities. Because God came into the world to show us His suffering heart, that God wants good to come to every one of His children, and when good is not coming, He grieves along with us, grieves along with us. The Invisible One has become visible. He is the projection of Almighty God on the canvas of humanity. Therefore, this author says, we must be joyfully thanking God in our deepest hearts. Joyfully thanking God in our deepest hearts. Some of you remember when Dr. John Buchanan gave our Barton Clinton Gordy series. Uh, he's been at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago for many years, one of America's really great churches, of course. Dr. Buchanan's about the same age I am, and he's taken on, in case he doesn't have enough to do at Fourth Presbyterian, he's the editor of Christian Century Magazine after Martin Marty retired. And he writes regular lead editorials for the journal. Recently, he wrote about his trip to Russia just last month. Gail and I were there again just two years ago. We've been to St. Petersburg. We've been to Moscow. So the churches he was describing are churches we've seen. In St. Petersburg, he loved the Church of St. Isaac. This magnificent Church of St. Isaac was used by the communists for 70 years as a place to sell vegetables. In the sanctuary of the church, there was a vegetable market. And people came and sold turnips and beets and onions. Today, it is a functioning church again as the old Soviet Union began to fall apart in 1989, 20 years ago. In Moscow, there was a magnificent cathedral of Christ the Savior. 
Joseph Stalin decided it should be bulldozed to the ground, and that it was, and he built a swimming pool there, thinking that all the people of Moscow would be so grateful to have a swimming pool, they would forget the Cathedral of Christ the Savior. For 70 years, young people were afraid to go to church. If they went to church, they might be denied education. They could even be thrown into prison with nothing more. They went to church. Do you know who kept the Russian Orthodox Church alive for 70 years? The grandmothers. They're called babushkas. In the cold of winter, they wear their scarves tied down under their chin, but nobody fooled with the babushkas. If they saw a Russian soldier pushing a child, they would come at him with purse or shopping bag swinging. Nobody took on the babushkas. It was they who kept the church going for 70 years. Dr. Buchanan said, It was Worldwide Communion Sunday. I chose to spend Worldwide Communion Sunday at the Cathedral of Christ the Savior. Once... Religious practice was free again. It was okay to go. Donations came from all over the world to get rid of that swimming pool Joseph Stalin had put in and rebuild the cathedral. It has been rebuilt. Dr. Buchanan said, I was there on Worldwide Communion Sunday. Now he said, I don't speak a word of Russian, but I know this story so I could tell what was happening. I tell you, when I got there, the place was jammed with people. I mean filled to the walls. In many Orthodox churches, the congregation stands through the whole service. And he said there were more than a thousand people standing. It was a great all-male choir. These deep, strong Russian voices singing the service, singing the Mass. The priest, he said, wow, the Greeks, the Russians really know how to do this. What magnificent vestments he had on, he said, makes us Presbyterians a little jealous of all this beautiful vestments that they have. I stood there watching him as he went through the service. When it was time to read from the gospel, this beautiful Bible was brought through the crowd and venerated, held up. This is the gospel. Hear the gospel read to you. And then he said... I heard the words. I knew what they were. This bread, it is my body. Take and eat. This wine, it is my blood. Take and drink. And the people started forward. And suddenly, I heard another sound. Soft. Beautiful. Almost a murmur. It was the singing of the babushkas as they brought their grandchildren in arms to the table of the Lord.